Let's have a ball at Faneuil Hall. We love the old town team. Take the green line to the sicko sign. We love the old town team. Oh, the kid, yes, Remdog PD, you can wink. Hey, everybody, welcome into another edition of the Old Town Podcast. Tim McMaster here, joined this week by Jen McCaffrey, our Red Sox beat writer here at The Athletic, and Steve Buckley, columnist here at The Athletic. So it's an all-the-athletic edition of uh, the Old Town Podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get those kind of podcasts, thanks for joining us. This is just episode number two in the free podcasting world. Of course, we've been going for about a year on the app and, and behind the paywall at The Athletic. But if you are listening to us for free, we would love to hear get a five-star rating and, and get a review as well. That'll really help us out along the way. And if you want to save 40% off on a subscription to The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com slash wickedpod and save 40% off. And then you can read the great writing of Steve Buckley, Jen McCaffrey, Chad Jennings, and all the other sports and all the other uh, writers here at The Athletic. So a lot to get to, guys, on this podcast. We're going to talk about Chris Sale and, and the current status, of course, for now, avoiding Tommy John surgery. We're also going to talk about Heim Bloom and his first... Really, at this point, we're kind of at the the third of a year mark as far as his tenure with the Red Sox. We'll check in on on how that's all going. But with all the darkness that we've had through the offseason, through spring training so far, I wanted to give fans something hopeful. So we're going to finish things off with kind of some spring training silver linings at the end of the show. So if you don't want all the darkness and the, the bloom and gloom, well, skip ahead. Uh, to the end, and and <laughs> you get our, our positive thoughts here heading into uh, another week of spring training. Um, so now that we're free, though, I just want to check in with you guys. Jen, Steve, this is kind of exciting, right, Jen, that, that you don't have to be on the app to listen. Everybody can, can kind of hear you guys wherever they want to. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's really cool that we've uh, we've been able to get to everybody out there. So hopefully uh, everyone likes uh, what we have to say. <laughs> Yeah, spreading the word of the athletic, Buck. You you enjoying it? I know you've been on the podcast a couple times behind the paywall, but but now it's all for free for everybody. More more people get to listen to you talk. And I've got lots to say, so that's a great forum for me. So there. <laughs> all right, let's get straight to Chris Sale. And obviously, it's the left flexor strain. Um, it's an injury that often leads to Tommy John surgery. Um, at this point, the Red Sox are, are going to take it cautiously, and we're going to wait. And that could be something that ends up being waiting and waiting and waiting. And certainly you're at a point here where this is year one of a five-year, $145 million deal. And, and it's just a bad start to it all. Before we get into the conversation, let's hear from Chris L. This is from last week. And, and I think it's, it's just some good perspective on his mindset here and, and what he calls basically a, a gut punch at this point. For sure, you know, over last year and up to this point, I've done nothing but fall flat on my face. So... That's a gut punch. Um, it's a tough realization, but I've said it time and time again. I have no time to hang my head or, you know, sit in a corner and pout. I got I got work to do and I got an uphill battle to climb. But I got my climbing shoes on, so I'll be ready to roll. He's got his climbing shoes on, and I'll start with you, Buck. Um, this is a situation where obviously this team had needed a lot of things to go right this season if they were going to contend after the trade of Mookie Betts and David Price. One of those things was for them not to lose any other pitchers. Um, this just feels like, yet a, you know, you talk about the other shoe dropping. This feels like shoe number six, I think, dropping for the Red Sox. Well, I always feel that when talking about Chris Sale, there's a great big long disclaimer that I have to put out there first. And, and that is that 
I, I admire him. I, I like his accountability, his accessibility um, after he's pitched and before he's pitched. He's candid. He's self-effacing. He, he's tough. And his relief outing in Game 5 of the World Series uh, in 2018 was a certified great moment in Red Sox history where you could just tell by the way he carried himself that tight number one shot of him coming out of the bullpen um, which I didn't see till later because I was at the game, but it was just like, I'll be back in a minute, boys. And he, he, he delivered on that promise. Having said all that, that big, long disclaimer, I think it was a disaster that they extended him. Uh, and, and this falls under whiny, I hate to told you so territory, but I wrote back in December of 18, right after the World Series, that that signing him to an extension would be problematic. I listed... Uh, six potential free agents over the next two years in terms of um, prioritizing. And I had him at the very bottom because I, I feared, and, and I hope I'm wrong, I hope he bounces back and wins 17 games this year because I, I enjoy watching him pitch. But I think extending him what is the root of where they are right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and Jen, when you think about it and winning 17 games, it would be awfully hard when, when you would think he's not going to get – I mean, best-case scenario, where do we think this this he can get on the mound? I mean, we're thinking, what, late May, maybe early June, even if everything goes right from this point on? Yeah, that's the absolute best-case scenario. I mean, if you're looking at – you know, they said they wanted him, you know, this 10-day rest period or so, which began last Sunday. Uh, so he's supposed to start playing catch at some point um, the end of this week, I believe. Um, but obviously playing catch is far different than, you know, ramping it up and throwing a live batter. So he won't probably know anything this week. And then you're into next week when he might, you know, progress into like a flat ground session. And then he'll have to kind of get into like a, a bullpen, the bullpen session, a, and then a live batting practice session. So I don't think you're going to really know anything, um, you know, one way or another for at least another, you know, two to three weeks, um, which at that point, even if everything's going well, they still want to get him, you know, those five to six starts in so he can kind of ramp up the pitch count because um, obviously you're not going to throw him in, you know, without having <laughs> pitched, uh, built up the pitch count. And then, and then, yeah, that, that brings you, I would think, you know, we looked at a timeline for uh, David Price had that, I think it was a similar, you know, kind of elbow strain, elbow, um, you know, it, I don't think it was a flexor strain, but it was something similar in uh, 2017 and he missed all of spring training and came his first start was May 29th of course he landed back on the DL at the time uh, over the summer and then came back for the bullpen in the playoffs of 17 Uh, but uh, but yeah I mean I I think the very very best case scenario you're not looking to see him sale return until late May early June and there's nothing worse than um, every time a pitcher kind of picks up a baseball cringing and, and just hoping that an injury doesn't happen. And I feel like to a degree that's kind of always been something in the background with Chris Sale just because of his body makeup and he's so slim and, and you just wonder how he's able to do it without getting injured. But now that you have this kind of partial tear and, and who knows what could happen, I feel like Red Sox fans, every time this guy – gets out there you're almost going to be holding your breath like oh is this going to be the pitch where that thing pops and and he certainly needs Tommy John surgery now you think of the Yankees though Buck and they've been doing that with Masahiro Tanaka since what 2014 when he had kind of a similar thing and he rehabbed it and he never needed the Tommy John surgery Um, but then you've had there's plenty of other examples of guys that eventually did so it's it's certainly nerve-wracking I think um, to to think about 
where we're going to be at with this guy over the, the coming months every time he throws a baseball? Well, you know, to, to expand on what you said, I go back to um, spring training in 2004, and Kurt Schilling was, was going to throw live BP for the first time early in spring training. And they, this was at the old ballpark in the old minor league complex down the other end of Edison Avenue in Fort Myers. And uh, security was much more loose back then. And I remember Michael Silverman and me, uh, we were both working at the Herald at the time, were allowed to stand right behind uh, the cage as Schilling was throwing live BP. And that was as close as I'd ever been to like real, you know, I always say I used to stand there for BP, but you've got like the first base coach throwing at 70 miles an hour. And it, it left a lasting impression on me of what it takes to throw a baseball at the major league level. And, you know, obviously Kurt Schilling was at the height of his powers back then. And, and to be four feet behind the batter and seeing those pitches come in, it, it planted a seed with me that I kept all these years and I'm using it in this forum now that, that what the body needs to do to throw a pitch at the major league level is, is just absolutely amazing. And so when you talk about this guy is thin and this guy is whatever, I think about that with every pitcher. You could, you could go like Dave Stewart, who was like built like a warrior, or, or Clemens, who was a great big guy. We can go on and on. It's just that that's the nature of throwing baseballs at the major league level, which is why we look at, you go back to the, the old days, like Mickey Lowlich from the Tigers would routinely throw 300 innings every year. There's a reason guys don't do that anymore because – it's just so hard to find good pitching. Yeah, it's certainly. And, and it's, yeah, it's an unnatural motion and it's a violent act and, and pitchers do it. And obviously there are a lot of injuries, but over the, the long haul, a lot of these guys somehow uh, make it work and make it happen. So the injury leads to an addition for the Red Sox, which felt like it was going to have to come eventually. But let's get into the rest of the rotation and how they fill this thing out between now and opening day. Colin McHugh has been signed. Uh, he has his own elbow injury. And there's also some questions of, is, is this guy a starter at this point in his career? Because the last couple of years, he's been more reliever. Now, 2018, he was great in Houston. Uh, 199 ERA over 72 and a third innings out of the bullpen. Um, he made eight starts last year, but mostly bullpen stuff as well. Um, he's a guy who can be effective. He's been on a very good team. He's been a successful pitcher. Let's start there. Then we'll get into some of the other candidates as they try to fill out this rotation. But Jen, Colin McHugh's kind of first topics, he had a lot to kind of get through because he was a member of the 2017 Astros. He had to talk about the cheating scandal. He had to talk about his injury. But one thing that came out is this guy is really juiced up to be a Red Sox right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we talked to him on Friday. Um, and yeah, the Red Sox actually had been talking to him even before they found out about sales. So this was just, you know, another um, another uh, kind of like addition to the depth. Um, that it, It's not like they signed him uh, to take sales place by any means because they know that he's not going to be ready. He's also not going to be ready for the start of the season. His, his flexor strain or his kind of like forearm strain isn't um, nearly as severe or worrisome uh, as – as uh, a sales and he sort of had this um, like 10x procedure which is a non-surgical procedure I'm not sure if it was something like with lasers or, or how they do it but just to break up some scar tissue that was um, within the within the elbow um, and then kind of within those muscles um, that you know everything's all attached in that area uh, so so anyway yeah he hasn't 
been cleared to throw just yet, um, or as of this weekend anyway. Um, and, and they were going to kind of sit down and map out, you know, a plan for him. But, uh, but yeah, he had been very successful the last, uh, last couple seasons, um, you know, in the bullpen, he had kind of flipped back and forth just because of some of the, um, trades and, and free agency guys, they lost to free agency in Houston where he was, um, kind of necessitated moving some guys around. Um, but he's, he's kind of been successful in both roles, but uh, you know, he did say he'd kind of prefer to do one or the other, um, which obviously in the situation the Red Sox are in right now, they're kind of using a lot of different guys and in a lot of different roles. So, um, I kind of have a feeling they might use him more in the bullpen versus in a kind of an opener role, but uh, I think it remains to be seen. Dave Bush said the other day that they kind of would sort of wait until McHugh's ready to contribute or close to be ready to ready to contribute to, to kind of figure out where he fits and what they need. Um, but, uh, but it does sound more of like a, a bullpen type role, um, at this point, at least. One thing that, um, I think is interesting about McHugh as well. And, and I think it's something that people have talked about since the big trade from a leadership standpoint, clubhouse standpoint, this is a team that lost a couple of big time leaders buck. And now you have a guy who by all accounts is now, Pitchers are a little different, especially if they're starters and they're throwing every fifth day. But by all accounts, McHugh is a great clubhouse guy. He actually has his own podcast um, as well. But um, that can't hurt a team that's lost such some big personalities to have a guy like McHugh who people say is just great in that room. No, it can't hurt. But there, there also needs to be some delivery along with the, the leadership. Uh, one of the reasons that, you know, it's funny if you if you – go into big league clubhouses for a living, which is what Jen and I do, you, your, your eyes go in certain directions in terms of whose locker is where. In the spring training, you'd go in there and your eyes would immediately go to the right. And over in that corner would be Chris Sale, Porcello, and, and David Price. And for all practical purposes, none of those guys are there right now. And there's a, a, a ton of big league experience. And most importantly for this discussion, a ton of big league victories in that corner. So, uh, yeah, leadership is great. Personality is great. Having a guy to turn to for a kind word or a boost of optimism and spirit is fine. Uh, but you, you get more power and more um, visibility to do that if, if, you, if you're winning a ton of games. So, um, so I caution people not, not to bank too much on that. It's great to see and it's admirable, but there, there needs to be, they need to win games. Yeah, the clubhouse can be a, a great atmosphere and all of that, but if the talent's not there, that kind of tends to fade anyway. Um, so when you think about the rest of the rotation, whether or not McHugh is a part of it, um, Jen, the way this has kind of worked out, obviously Eduardo Rodriguez has been fine. Nathan Avaldi was tremendous this weekend, and he's been pretty much lights out so far in the spring. Eight total innings so far, just four hits, 12 strikeouts, uh, no runs in spring training. So there's your one and your two. Martin Perez on Sunday, very encouraging. He goes four innings, uh, four hits. He didn't allow a run, a walk in seven Ks. Had some trouble in the first inning, but he was able to get out of it and really settle down. So if you have those three, and if I mean, I'm not sure if Martin Perez, if that's really the guy we can we can expect to see. But if the, those three are at least solid, and you're getting those starts every fifth day, then it's the two other spots. And whether one of those spots ends up being an opener or not. There's some other names in the mix, and most of those other names haven't really performed great so far this spring. Guys like Chris Mazza, I mean, 
Kyle Hart and Tanner Houck were part of the cuts on Sunday of the 15 cuts, so they're out of the equation. So really, when you look at it, it comes down to right Ryan Weber, Chris Mazza, Brian Johnson, Jeffrey Springs. Johnson's not on the 40 man, but he's pitched pretty well. Can you kind of uh, handicap <laughs> I'm sorry. That? I'm just listening to those names. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, boy. You know, yeah. I, it's not exactly, um, you know, Pedro Schilling, Wakefield, Lowe, and Arroyo, is it? No, but maybe it's something that Heim Bloom is more used to, right? Is patching it together. But if you had to handicap that, Jen, after being down there for, for the last week, um, is, is Weber the guy that has the inside track right now? I mean, it seems like Mazza and Springs haven't really competed well so far. Yeah, I think Weber kind of, you know, has um, – they've liked what if they've seen from him. You know, obviously, again, we said about spring training numbers not super being super indicative of what a guy does in the regular season. You kind of look to what Weber did last year, which was uh, kind of okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, not, not terrific, um, but, I mean – more serviceable than uh than some of the other guys they also you know ron mentioned renicky to reporters down in fort myers today um to chad jennings and some of the guys that are down down there that um we had been kind of told leading up to spring training that they were going to keep uh darwin's and hernandez in in the uh in the bullpen and, and be more of a bullpen guy but now I think with everything that's gone on, they're kind of reconsidering that. And uh, he, he told them that, you know, it could be a kind of a push him to like a two or three inning type thing and, and be sort of one of those opener guys. Um, he's done really well this spring. So that's, you know, still on the table. But yeah, I mean, at this point, I think they're still figuring these things out, still trying to figure out uh, who's who's going to emerge. And Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they try to pull off some sort of trade over the next couple of weeks. Bloom was uh, was on the broadcast, the game broadcast the other day and and said that they're not done, you know, trying to add depth. Um, so, I mean, what what form that takes, we're not quite sure. Um, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if he tries to, you know, uh, take a or, you know, make a trade with a, a team that has a surplus starter, um, you know, that, that that's not going to make their uh, that's not going to make their their rotation, you know, come spring, uh, come the end of spring training. So I think, uh, I think that's also on the table as well. Darwin's and Hernandez is it, it is fascinating to think of it. If he can, if he can throw strikes, you know, which is the issue when he's having trouble is, is the control. But if he could throw strikes, it is amazing to think about him in a two, three inning stint and what that could be from a value standpoint on this team. I, I still feel like eventually he's a guy that becomes a closer, but Hey, you, you got to go with a guy and, and, have him give you what you need at a certain time. And if he could be lengthened out to give him that much, that would certainly be helpful. All right. So that's kind of the status of the pitching staff and really one of the big um, problems that Heim Bloom has had to deal with. So let's, let's shift to that discussion and Heim Bloom, we'll call it his first 130 days on the job. Um, and he's had to deal with more than probably most GMs have to in their first that many days on the job. You think about crisis management, baseball operations, public relations. He's had it all. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Buck, you wrote an article about Bloom and kind of this isn't really necessarily what he signed up for. Um, but feels like so far in an impossible situation, the trading of Mookie Betts and everything that's gone on. Now you have the sale injury. He's kind of taking it all in stride, at least outwardly, in what we've seen. Well, I think the key word here is outwardly. I mean, for all right. I know, he's twirling ball bearings, <laughs> sitting in his car, like and pounding his head against the uh, the rearview mirror. So who knows? But no, I, I Josh, uh, he he strikes one as a, a level-headed person. Uh, he knew when he came in that he was in charge of a rebuild, even though no one will call it that. 
but you're not allowed to use that word on this podcast. No, no, no rebuilding. <laughs> and uh, I think to compile matters, uh, you had certainly at the very top of the list the uh, the various cheating scandals that are going on in Major League Baseball that have rocked the game. And right out of the boat, they, you know, Alex Gore gets chased out of baseball. I know they're calling it a parting of the waves, but whatever. Uh, Corey's out because of his involvement with what happened with the Astros in 17. And here we are now, week after week, waiting to see what happens with the Red Sox. And while people keep whispering, oh, it's not going to be as bad as what happened with the Astros, and that may well be the case. But the fact of the matter is that you can't really go forward uh, until that's all litigated, and it hasn't been yet, and it's being litigated. So you're Heim Bloom, and you come in, and one of the first things you need to do is hire a manager in place of Alex Cora, and if you go in-house, you need to sort of uh, look under things a little bit to make sure that none of the people on the current coaching staff uh, may be punished down the road for their alleged involvement with what happened with the Red Sox in 18. So number one, you've got Alex Cora leaving. Number two, you've got to find a replacement amid all the controversy. Number three, you need to work out the trade, which be, uh, the bets and price trade, which becomes additionally problematic because of what happened with the Minnesota Twins. And you got to reshuffle the deck a little bit. And then you got the Chris Sale situation and on and on. And take all of that, every bit of that away. And then you've got one intangible here which is that when he was working in baseball operations for the Tampa Bay Rays, he wasn't the number one guy, the face of the organization. And he was doing whatever he was doing in a city that doesn't take baseball that seriously. Now he is the guy. He is the face of baseball operations in a city that takes baseball very seriously. And every single move that he makes is going to be scrutinized. So that, that has to be a culture shock for him. Yeah, certainly a culture shock and one that, you know, he had to see coming, but but he's handled it. I would agree that he's handled it well. And from the, the PR standpoint, um, he's he's handled the questions of the media. I've seen no frustration at all. And and he's kind of kind of taken everything in stride. Now, the other part of his and, job. And if I could just jump in, yeah, just jump in real quick. I think anybody that would and I put this in air quotes, blame this guy for anything that's gone now if you want to argue that well they could have gotten more in that trade we can certainly have a debate over that but uh, i think as the snowball rolls down the hill this season and these issues mount and i don't think it's going to be a very good season i i think to shift the spotlight on him and say oh well he blew it i think most red sox fans are too savvy to do that so uh, but for those who might i would caution that they do otherwise yeah, I think next winter is going to be much more telling as far as Heim Bloom when they're under the luxury tax, they've reset everything, and then we'll see what he does to improve this team. I think that's going to be a lot more telling. And it's the one negative that you get on Twitter. Now, granted, it's Twitter. It's not the gr- broad spectrum of Red Sox fans. Um, but you see the thought that, oh, they just brought this guy in to be cheap. Um and I think that, first of all, look around the other guys who have left Tampa Bay. And, and I always point to Andrew Friedman. And he's here's the guy that Bloom worked for. And he has to look at what Andrew Friedman has done in L.A. where he has... Granted, he, they haven't really gone out and spent big on free agency, but they've kept their own and they've built a great system and they have tons of young talent coming up. And then when it was time to make the big move, they traded for Mookie Betts. I feel like Heim Bloom has to look across the country to what Andrew Friedman has done and say, I want to do that 
in Boston and not be cheap, as some people have said. Jen, does that does that make sense that he's, uh, you know, it's interesting that his first big trade was with Friedman, but that has to be kind of the gold standard of guys who had to do it on a shoestring budget in Tampa Bay and then were given keys to kind of the Cadillac, so to speak. Yeah, and, you know, I think people forget that Friedman did something similar when he, uh, you know, in a couple years ago, um, you know, when he was in Heim's shoes, you know, being new out in L.A., he traded, you know, they had a, a massive trade uh, kind of ironically ironically, where they got Jeter Downs and Josiah Gray um, from Cincinnati for Matt Kemp, Yaziel Puig, um, and a number, Alex Wood. They, they traded off a handful of significant you know, um, guys salary-wise in order to get a couple of prospects in order to reset. And uh, he, you know, I, I remember talking to Friedman um, in November at GM meetings just about kind of managing, you know, how, how you manage being in a bigger market versus, um, you know, managing a, a smaller team like Tampa. And he said the biggest thing he had to learn was how to handle the CBT because he never really had to deal with that, uh, obviously, in Tampa. And and that was one of the bigger trades that he pulled off earlier on um, a couple years ago. Uh, and, you know, it, it ended up helping them out. You know, they were able to get those, you know, a guy like Jeter Downs that the Red Sox, you know, eventually wanted and, and they got Mookie and kind of, you know, reset. So it's not like, you know, I think people are concerned that this is going to be, you know, the bargain basement team for, for the foreseeable future here in Boston. There's, you know, certain things you have to do to kind of reorganize and reshuffle. And, you know, you can argue till the cows come home about whether or not they should have tried harder with Mookie or if Mookie wanted to stay to begin with or whatnot. But uh, but at some point, you know, guys have to make decisions and, and reshuffle. And, and that's what Friedman did out in L.A. And look where they are now kind of competing in multiple World Series back to back. So, I mean, I think uh, I think it all kind of ebbs and flows. And that's just sort of how how the game works. And if I may, it makes me wonder if uh, if once the luxury salary tax threshold and all that is reset for the Red Sox next year, maybe they turn around and trade Jeter Downs for a veteran player. Then Downs can spend the rest of his career being that guy who gets traded for veteran leadership <laughs> and so forth. That tends to never work out for you guys either. I always feel bad for the prospect who keeps bouncing around because it's like, you know, the coaching staff changes, your leadership changes. You never get and any traction, to, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard. So the other thing that, that um, this year at least Time Bloom has been tasked with, I think that, that this team lacked a year ago, um, was building up a little bit of depth on this team too, cheap, on the cheap side. Like that's where we can use the word cheap because when you're talking about building depth and preparing for the eventual injuries of a Major League Baseball season, that's where you want to find those deals. And you think about what the Red Sox have done here. Um, at the catcher position is one place that stands out. You have Kevin Plowecki, who has been great this spring and is great defensively, and we'll see what happens. Then you have Jonathan Lucroy, who has the connection with Ron Renneke from his time in Milwaukee, and now supposedly he's healthy. You add those guys behind Christian Vasquez, and that's the type of depth I think that can be valuable for a team. And, and I think that's where maybe we're going to immediately see Maybe some of the positives of bringing in Heim Bloom. Uh, either of you have a thought of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think one of the things Bloom did say sort of early on was that they, they, he noticed, you know, from being across uh, across the AL East that you know the Red Sox were pretty thin in terms of depth last year and in previous years. And you kind of saw when he came in, he sort of cleaned house with a lot of you know guys that he DFA'd to make make room for for some of these other guys that he brought on. So yeah, I think you know having that perspective from the outside and and seeing where the holes are um, is helpful 
and, uh, you know, obviously these guys have to perform, um, and, and, you know, contribute in, in, in some sense, uh, to the major league team. But, uh, but I think it's, yeah, it's a low risk, high reward type situation with a lot of these guys with Luke Roy, with Pulowiecki, with Colin McHugh, you know, you don't, you don't, they're looking for sort of a second chance or kind of to reprove themselves. Um, and you give them a, a salary that, you know, they might not have taken a few years ago, but because they are on the, you know, the, the bottom pile right now, um, be able to be able to get something out of them and, and, and kind of take advantage of their, their history and their track record. And we'll obviously we have to see how that plays out. But, but I think in, in that sense, he's the building, the depth, you know, they're not, they're not exciting moves by any means, but he did make a number of them over the winter um, that could play important roles down the stretch. And we were talking about the, the list of pitchers and there's a lot of those pitchers and you don't need them all to work out. So that's part of it too. You bring in all these arms and you let them play in spring training and, and the cream, well, the cream for this year rises to the top since, since relievers can be so volatile from year to year. And then you look at the end of spring training of who ends up being available and that'll be key too is what he can add at that point and, and we'll see where we go from there. Always look on the bright side of life. We want to end the podcast. We're each going to take a silver lining from spring training so far. Um, I'll let you go first, Buck. What has stood out to you as a positive amongst all these kind of dark storm clouds? I know that people think that sports writers, sports columnists in particular, that we love drama and negativity and uh, all kinds of fights and food fights and whatnot that we can write about. Uh, the fact of the matter is it, it's fun in small doses. I'll, I'll admit that, but it can be very physically draining to have to deal with that stuff on a day in day basis. And if sports writers feel that way, fans have to feel that way. Also, you, you shouldn't have to, you know, punch into the athletic every day and read something that that's, that's tawdry and bad and so forth in that spirit. I'm here to say to you that during the two weeks I was in spring training and I've been following Chad and Jen religiously since returning to Boston. I've seen nothing. Maybe I'm not reading closely enough, but I think the clubhouse, uh, there's been a lot of decorum. There's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say spirit because there's been, it's not like there's a guy beating his chest saying, hey, you know, hop on my shoulders and I'll take you to victory. But I, I think the players have all been very professional under less than perfect circumstances. I think everyone is a little afeared as to how this season is going to play out. And I know I've seen a few players say it does seem different here because Mookie's not there and David Price is not there and obviously Pedroia is not there for different reasons. And those those were guys with some presence. And obviously David Ortiz has been gone for several years now and that's a, that's a big void. So I applaud the players for their uh, their professionalism so far. And I guess we'll see how that plays out if they hit a five, six game losing streak at some point in April. Right, Jen? Everybody, everybody seems to have a good vibe and a good feeling in spring training, um, but that can quickly change. It does seem, though, that that from a clubhouse standpoint, there's there's no real bad apples in there. And this seems like a group that should get along well. Yeah. I mean, you know, just having been around them for a few weeks this spring and then I go back again on uh, next week to kind of finish out the final stretch. They are. Yeah, th this has been a pretty, you know, um, 
I would say, cohesive group just because almost by necessity's sake, they had to kind of come together around the, the, the one, one they've, most of them have been together. You know, there are newcomers, but a large chunk of these guys, the core group of these guys have been together. Um, two, um, they kind of had to come or come together around, you know, the Mookie and, and, and David trade uh, and kind of rallied around the fact that they lost two of their, you know, big clubhouse leaders. And then three, this pending investigation that's still kind of hanging over the team sort of forces them to also kind of stick together and, and kind of have a collective message and just um, kind of weather, weather the storm, you know, whenever it comes. So, yeah, I think, you know, they I think Bogarts the other day said that there hasn't been as much kind of you know, excitement or, you know, vigor among the group, but it's almost, you know, understandable just given how many blows they've already taken, um, you know, over, uh, over the course of the past couple months. Um, but I think, you know, once season gets underway, you know, that kind of, you know, that excitement or that kind of, uh, you know, chemistry or, or um, kind of just sort of takes care of itself on a day-to-day basis. If they, if they start off the season or going like one in 10, then yeah, it's going to, it's going to be an even longer season than you think than you thought it was going to be, uh, but I think that kind of stuff figures itself out along the way, and it seems like they've had a pretty um, upbeat attitude considering everything they've kind of had to deal with over the past few months. Yeah, it's been a lot. Uh, I was originally going to go last with my silver lining, but it kind of plays into this one and transition, so I'll go here. Um, with as far as the team getting along, one of the cool things that has kind of developed over the last few years. Uh, with spring training games on ESPN is the miking up of players um, and and the local networks as well. But ESPN last week went all in on it. And every game they broadcast, they miked up players. Um, And the Friday game was the Braves and the Red Sox. Um, In the first five innings, they went through like four different Braves players. I think uh, Freddie Freeman was a big one and Chipper Jones was in the booth. It's just great content and a great way to hear these guys on the field. But when they turn things over to the Red Sox with the mics, it was Michael Chavis and Kevin Plawecki, um, and they had them both mic'd up in the field during an inning, and it was just great. And I just think silver lining for all of baseball is these mic'd up segments. Here's a little snippet of Chavis and Plawecki. It was seventh inning. Uh, Brewer was on the mound, and Plawecki's basically setting Chavis up to be like, you know what, what pitch should we have him throw this time? And, and this is kind of the back and forth, mind you, during the game on ESPN. All right, now what we got, Chavis, what do you want, bud? You make the call. Um, I like a changeup down in the way here. Uh, I was okay. facing him in a lot of the bad the other day, and he started laughing when he was about to throw a changeup, <laughs> and it just messed me up so bad that I, I just want to miss. Tell him to laugh. I don't like it. I'm not listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's a foul ball, but I'd say he was barrel on that, so maybe it's Yeah, but he's late. He threw the changeup. He's all over it. <laughs> maybe that's why I'm not calling pitches. <laughs> Yeah, that's certainly why he's not calling pitches. Um, but, Buck, I know this is never going to happen where we're, you know, in a game in, in August or September and we get to hear players talking during a game. But just to get a piece of it and a taste of it during spring training, um, I think it just gives people – I think it's going to make baseball fans. I think people are going to appreciate that this sort of thing goes on during a baseball game, um, whether it's the first baseman talking to the runner after he gets a hit or, or anything that the interaction on the field. It's just good for the game. Listen very carefully to my response on this. I don't need it. I don't require it, but I'm not offended by it. In other words, me as someone who just, who's a connoisseur of the game, as arrogant as that sounds, I just want to watch the damn game. But if they're, if they're adding stuff 
that's going to bring in younger viewers and younger listeners and younger participants, I'm all for it. It doesn't get in the way from me. I'll tell you what does get in the way. I was at a spring training game, the very first Grapefruit League game of the year, uh, down at um, JetBlue. And I went down into the stands to talk, to, to sit with the parents of uh, John Andrioli, who's the kid from Worcester who's trying to make the Red Sox. And I had done a story on him. And I'm sitting with his parents. And there was so much noise and sound effects and something going on literally between every pitch. I, and it was so loud, I couldn't talk to them. And I had, I, listen, I'm going upstairs. I, I'm good meeting you. That bothers me. So I, I think sometimes in-game noise can be over the top. But if you're watching at home and they're micing up players and doesn't get in the way of the game, bring it on. I'm all for it. Is that a good diplomatic response? That's great. And I couldn't agree with you more about the noise. Let's let's let the noise of baseball be the noise in the stadium and not music um, and that sort of thing. And, and let me just say that, that I was so pissed off when I was down there. I went <laughs> upstairs and I went to somebody in the press box from the Red Sox and said, listen, I didn't buy a ticket. I'm here in a pass. I get it. Listen to me. You don't listen to me. But I had to stop a conversation in the stands with two nice people because we couldn't hear each other. I feel like I also, so So, um, JetBlue is different in a lot of ways than Fenway, but I actually notice kind of Fenway being different um, from like road parks in general when when it comes to that of like, there's so much noise at a lot of other parks. There's like the in-game entertainment with like the host on the field doing stuff in between innings and Fenway doesn't have that. And I always notice when I get back to Fenway for home games, how much quieter it is in general. But yeah, JetBlue is kind of a different animal just because it's spring training and they're trying to get it as much as they can out of all those, you know, the, the whatever, how many games they have down there. So. Yeah, I agree. And, and I remember way back in 03, 02, when the new ownership came in and Charles Steinberg was brought in to, sort of take care of the ballpark experience and a lot of the stuff he did was great and i had to get him to promise me not that not that i was a bargainer here but i said look i don't want kerplunk sound effects every time there's a foul ball hitting the stands or the broken glass sound effect uh please tell me we won't have that and uh by and large, the Red Sox have gotten away from that nonsense, Although or stayed bro- away from that nonsense. The broken glass at a minor league game, though, can't be beat because it's actually par- probably happening in the parking lot. That's why I think it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. The the, uh, the the worst one is that Yankee Stadium, the strikeout where they have that um, they have this like sound effect for every strikeout. It drives me nuts. Oh, and don't yeah. get uh, get me started on the LED lights at Yankee Stadium on home runs. But anyway, well, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, could, I honestly I could talk about talk about this for half I'll, an hour, but I'll, yeah, stop. I'll, I'll take, stop. I agree, Jen. I'll take the organ at Fenway uh, during a pitching change over all that other exactly. stuff anytime. It's just it's exactly. baseball, and and it's what it is. Um, but back to the uh, the mic'd up segments. I think the one good thing about it is during spring training. Um, it's, I mean, you get into the sixth and seventh inning of these games and there's nothing for the broadcasters to talk about. So if they're able to talk to the actual players. That's fantastic, and and that certainly brings something. All right, Jen, what's your silver lining? So my silver lining is, you know, kind of I, people will kind of laugh at this one, but I, they have been the Red Sox have been relatively healthy. You know, you put Sale aside, um, and Verdugo I feel like doesn't count because no one even knows who he is yet. Um, but I'm looking at kind of the core of the lineup with Benintendi, Devers, Bogarts, JD. They've all had a little kind of sort of nagging injury, and maybe Bogarts's ankle thing is is the one that's been the worst. But when you kind of compare them, if you're trying to look for a silver lining to the Yankees and all the injuries that they've already endured and all the injuries they had to endure last year um I think that can be uh that can be something that uh you can kind of 
um, look at as a, a silver lining that at least they're not, you know, that banged up in all the other struggles that they have ahead of them. At least they're, they've been, uh, you know, they've been, they've been relatively healthy. And now I say that and they'll probably lose like six guys out of the lineup today. But, um, but you know, for their sake, I think that they're, uh, they're happy that most of these guys have been pretty, uh, pretty healthy so far. Yeah, of course, if you had to pick one guy, you wouldn't want to get hurt. Unfortunately, it might, it might have been Chris Sale <laughs> and That's he goes fair. down, but but we'll see. Um, and, and you mentioned just to update that real quick. We're going to hear by the end of the week, probably a little update on Sale. Yeah, I mean, they had said, you know, 10 days from that sun, that Sunday when he last threw the uh, the 15 pitch session. So 10 days from that, what I think would be like Wednesday or Thursday. Um, they obviously might adjust the schedule, but that's when he's supposed to start playing catch again, which again, you know, there's not a lot of intensity there. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll talk and, and Ron will talk, um, you know, after that session happens, um, should be sometime, I think by the end of this week that he'll do that. So we'll see then. See how far up the mountain Chris Sale has uh, has climbed, uh, according to his soundbite. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Old Town Podcast. Um, follow everybody on Twitter. You get great Red Sox stuff. Jen's at, at JC McCaffrey. Uh, Buck is at Buck in Boston. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. And, of course, you can save 40% on a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash wickedpod. We'll be back in a week. So next Monday, um, who knows? We may have heard from Major League Baseball about penalties for the Red Sox by then uh, we'll certainly hear from Chris Sale again so there's there's no lack of news coming out of Fenway South right now also special thanks to the Beantown Swing Orchestra for the music that we're using this season as well they did a great job on that and we appreciate it so we'll talk to you again next week on the Old Town Podcast Podcast